0: Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you've tuned in. Real quick, before we get into our discussion of 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, for those of you out there that are looking for outlines on this material, particularly the 1 Peter study, if I'm not talking about the Tuesday outlines, I don't have outlines for the Tuesday podcast, uh, but if you're wanting the first Peter outlines, you can go to my website, they're free. You can, they're there in PDF, you can print them or view them. If you're listening to the podcast and you want to follow along, the outline will be there. You can go to one of two places on my website. You can go to the little drop down menu, the three little lines, click on it. Recently added material Sunday afternoons. Uh, when I get home, I live in El Paso, Texas, where I'm Mountain Time. When I get home from the assembling of the saints and get the opportunity to uh, get to my desk, I upload uh, the new material. They will be there on Sunday afternoons, depending on what time zone you're you're on. Like if you're on the East Coast of the United States and you're on Eastern uh, Time, and you're sitting there saying, "Hey, uh, you know, it's it's five o'clock. Why aren't these up yet? Are y'all down there in service till five o'clock? Well, that's three o'clock for us." And yes. That's about when I get home is somewhere around three o'clock my local time. So sometime after that is when I upload them. Or you can go same website, wordtotruth.net, click on that drop down menu, Bible study materials. Click on New Testament studies and then first and second Peter from there, and you will find the upla- up updated outlines. And again, those get uploaded Sunday afternoon. So if it's later Sunday evening, and you know that on Mountain Time, Brian's been home for a while, if you don't see it, just click the refresh button on your browser, and you should be able to see it that way. They are up there. I, I, I have not yet failed to do that in many, many years, uh, have kept the website up to date uh, kind of, I am a a little bit particular about doing uh, that and making sure it it is up to date. So our study of 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, I want to jump right into this with a point of clarification. The trial of your faith and then just things that are ordinary in the world, okay? There are things that are common to man. Like right now, if you live in El Paso, Texas, our wonderful government, uh, county government has decided to raise our property taxes. So if you're a homeowner or a renter, no matter what, if you're paying for the place that you live in, you're going to be paying more. That is not because I'm a Christian. That's because our local county government wants to pay themselves more and do foolish things with money that doesn't belong to them. So we are all going to face the consequences of the decisions of sinful men. But that's not the trial of my faith. It has nothing to do with my faith. They're not sitting there saying, let's make it hard on Christians. Let's cause something difficult for Christians. That's not what we're gonna talk about in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. Or maybe, uh, you know, it's election season, so you know what that means. That means COVID is gonna come back, right? And, And whether or not that's true or not, whatever you want to believe with that doesn't matter to me, but it seems to be a pretty interesting cycle of how they either release something back into the public or whatever, it's gone, now it's coming back, do all these things. Well, you might live in a community where they shut down things or where they force you to wear masks or different things. That has nothing to do with the faith of a Christian, has nothing to do with your faithfulness to God, and everything to do with an overreaching government, okay? If atheists are facing the same thing you're facing. That's a simple, simple illustration. Don't think of that as a trial of your faith. Now, there may be particulars where local governments may decide to forbid public assemblies, and you might say, they're afflicting us as a church. Okay, well, it this in, in this regard, it's something that faces everybody, but this is where it becomes a trial of your faith. As a Christian, you're not going to forsake the assembling of the saints. Now, You're making a decision whether to obey God or men, and we know we ought to obey God rather than men, Acts 5.29. The consequences you might face from that decision now comes down to the trial of your faith. So make sure you always kind of keep that clear in your mind. Sometimes people go through things, they get sick or have some kind of physical ailment, and they'll say, oh, the devil's trying me, number one. The devil had nothing to do with that. Neither did God. Um, Time and chance happens to us all, Ecclesiastes 9.11. And you're in a fleshly body in a world that when Adam brought sin into this world and, and Eve uh, being the contributing factor there, uh, death came upon uh, all man. Therefore, we have physical ailments and different sins over the years have caused different things to uh, encounter and come into this world. Uh, that's not the trial of your faith, okay? Okay. So when we speak to the trial of your faith, like, hey, somebody is persecuting me because I am a Christian, how challenging that is for you to be able to look at that and find joy. This is our study in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. And we ought to start off with the word temptation and and just thinking about it. Because we're going to talk about Peter saying, you know, you're in heaviness through, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. And then the trial of your faith, meaning the testing of your faith. That It's not that we want to enter into temptation. It's not that we want to be tested. When Jesus was talking to the apostles in Matthew 6, 13, and they, they and Luke 11 gives uh, another context uh, separate and apart from this. Uh, part of the teaching that he gave them on prayer is lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is thy kingdom the power and glory forever we were just studying luke's account of this here in el paso consequently interestingly uh that we were talking about it here in this podcast just as we go through this text didn't line up purposefully uh that way but the apostles they were directly led by the holy spirit act 16 1 through 10, you see that as Paul goes and gets Timothy, and they go and start to do the work. And Paul wanted to go to Asia, and the Holy Spirit literally, not figuratively, literally forbade him from going because the apostles were guided by the Holy Spirit, John 16, 13. So that was part of the Lord's will for them, their desire not to be led into temptation. Uh, I'll I'll come back to that point in a moment. Uh, Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he has... uh, Peter with him here, he's talking to him, and James and John. And he says in Mark 14, 38, Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. So here are two instructions from Jesus, two separate contexts, talking to his disciples. Temptation isn't something we want to enter into the trial of our faith is not something we want to enter into. The downside of that, especially if the word of God hasn't taken root properly in somebody, in Luke 8, 13, says, They on the rock are they which when they hear, they receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. Trials, like we're going to talk about, in, and Peter is talking about, are times where people fall away. And these times, these temptations, and, and I'm using passages that use the same Greek word as we're, you know, looking at 1 Peter 1, and I'm not even going to get into a Greek study here. I think you can understand temptation as testing, as trial. Uh, those are emotional times. Uh, Paul, when he was talking to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, and verse 19, contextually talking to the elders in Ephesus, he talked about himself. He says, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews. So, While he's going through temptations at the hands of the Jews, he said, you know, with many tears. Think about that as we enter into our study today, okay? The temptations that Christians face are not uncommon. So I can't take it personal. You know, there are things that being a faithful Christian is just going to bring about in life. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taking you, but such as common man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. It is not as though you've been given the hardest test, and there is no way you can pass it. Christians have been facing the things that we face in various ways since the first century. It's something you can overcome. There's not an evil in the world that good cannot counter. God hasn't given or it hasn't permitted things uh, to exist that are beyond a defense. In 1 Peter 4, when we get later in this text, he says in verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. So it's common. Even with the trial of faith. Earlier I made a distinction. Things everybody in the world might be facing at the same time, or everybody in your community or country or state. Well, these are things that Christians face all the time. Now, I want to come back. I said I wanted to come back to a point where, where I was talking about Matthew 6:13 and Mark 14, 38. Well, nobody wants to be led into temptation. Jesus was led into temptation. And in Mark 1:12 and 13. Immediately, the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. That's Jesus. He was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Mark gives a brief account, Uh, Matthew 4 and Luke 4, Matthew 4, 1 through 11, Luke 4, uh, give a uh, more longer account. I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast are probably familiar with that, so I won't cite the longer accounts. But Jesus entered into temptation. It was part of what we're going to talk about here momentarily, what makes him able to be our high priest and our Lord. He faced that temptation. And not just that, but other temptations and trials and suffering in the flesh. In Matthew 16, 21, he says to his disciples, uh, said, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how then he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 2, the Pharisees came unto him asking him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? So Jesus faced physical things. He faced intellectual things, trials of the faith, and that are you going to answer in accordance with the scriptures? And in Luke 11 and verse 16, others tempting him sought of a sign from heaven. So here they're provoking him. Hey, you know, do something amazing. And Luke 18, 32, Jesus speaking of his future, he should be delivered unto the Gentiles, mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on. Think about the testing of deity in the flesh being spit on by his creation. Think of the humility that Jesus showed and still going to the cross and engaging in everything. In Luke 18, 32, he's foretelling it. So this didn't catch him by surprise. He wasn't spat upon and say, oh, I didn't know you were going to do that to me. Had you known I was going to know? He knew what was going to happen. You know, the, the the amazing thing that has just always amazed me about Jesus is he knows everything that's around the corner and he still walks around the corner. I love that for, for, for us through him, that Jesus knew what he was going to face. And, you know, pain is one thing. I, I live in pain on a daily basis, have an injury that has been many years uh, old, is never going to go away, and other things that my body has encountered over my own abuse of my body, as well as just aging, and things that I live with every day. But, but you know what? I know it's temporary. I know however long I live in the flesh, I need to put up with this pain, but that it's going to be gone. Pain in the flesh is one thing. Um, if somebody told me they were gonna uh, torment me for a period of time to try to get me to deny the faith, I am not I'm not concerned so much about that. It's it's whatever, you know, I'm probably gonna pass out or whatever's gonna come from it or die, but but it's still just just temporary. But Jesus, knowing when he went to the cross, all the things he was going to face. Think about the mental anguish of knowing that it's the people that you came to save that are doing it to you. And that some of them are going to obey the gospel and be joint heirs with you in eternity. Romans eight seventeen, and we see some of them obey the gospel in Acts 2. Wow. Wow, folks. That is something. You know, we as Christians, we may face persecution, but we know our Heavenly Father is going to take vengeance on them, Romans 12, 17 through 21. Our Savior, on the other hand, said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Same thing you see Stephen do when he's stoned to death in Acts 7, 51 and following. The difference between Stephen and Jesus, it happens to Stephen. He's in the moment. Jesus knew And as we've been studying in 1 Peter 1, the plan was before the foundation of the world. So Jesus knew long in advance, thousands plus years in advance, what he was going to go through. That's amazing. Wrap your mind around that. Wow, right? And that, the mental side of that, you're going to be saved. You're going to come to my father's house. You're going to share my inheritance with me. When we talk about the love of Christ, it is so overly simplified when, he say, when we say he came in the world to save sinners. That is a way oversimplification. It is a remarkable love. Well, knowing all that Jesus went through, not just in the flesh, but in the mind, he's our judge. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. With that, our judge understands what it is to go through things in this life. I'm especially thankful. Being an evangelist, you know, one of the things that you see in the Apostle Paul, he talked to the Corinthians about the more abundantly he loved them, the less he was loved, 2 Corinthians 12, 15. When you're teaching the Word of God, you're a servant. You're a low servant. You're low on the totem pole. And sometimes even brethren will take advantage of that. And I look at Jesus and I think how remarkable example that he is and that when I'm suffering mentally because of things that people that I'm trying to teach are doing to me, and I'm not indicting anybody currently presently in a congregation I labor with, but just in general over the years that I've been doing the work of an evangelist, I think of Jesus. And I'm thankful that when I go before him in the judgment day, he understands and for me... I, Way more than what I'm going through, he experienced. In Hebrews chapter two, sixteen through eighteen, says, "Verily, he took not on him the nature of angels, but took on the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things, it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, and things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted." In Hebrews chapter four and verse fourteen through five ten, See, then we have a great high priest that is passed in the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For verily, in chapter 5, verse 1, for verily, I'm sorry, for every high priest, "...taken from among men as ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he might offer both gifts and sacrifices, who can have compassion on the ignorant, and on them that are out of the way, for he himself also can pass with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron, so also Christ glorified not himself." to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. He said also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all of them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus knows. In the days of his flesh, he prayed, offered up stuff with strong crying and tears. He knows the things we go through in this life, and he's our judge. We can be comforted in that. So, our text. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. So here's the temporary side of it, right? If need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Greatly rejoicing. Jesus taught in Luke 6, 20 through 23. Lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil, for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets, greatly rejoicing that whatever you're going through now, look forward. It is a forward-looking thought process. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, Jesus talking to his disciples, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Luke chapter 10, verse 20, as being sent out, he says, notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that your spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice Because your names are written in heaven. It's looking forward. You know, you can get caught up in moments. And, and, you know, the likelihood is you've been here. I know I've been here many times where it feels like you're stuck in something and it's going to be forever because in the moment, things can be terrible. Something may happen and it just seems like it's never going to come to pass Our Lord in those moments wants us to think forward. Even if in the flesh, it doesn't come to pass. To look forward, to be able to say, no matter what this is, it's not going to be with me in heaven. In Romans chapter 12, the instruction in verse 12 is rejoicing in hope. And we were talking about hope, right? In our context and in our podcast last week, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation Continuing instant in prayer. So enduring in times of tribulation. Enduring. In 1 Peter 4, 13, later in this epistle, But rejoice inasmuch your partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. It's, it's looking forward. Being able to have a mindset of whatever this is and however bad it is, it is not eternal but heaven is. So, with that mindset, I'm able to look at scriptures like Philippians 4.4 4, that say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And if you were to read down through further in that context, Paul is talking about the support that he gets from the saints in Philippi in verses 10 through 18, and how he knew how uh, both to, to be abased and to be exalted, how to suffer need, but to have abundance. And it's that mindset of whatever state I am therewith to be content. Why? Because I can rejoice in the Lord. Yes, I can rejoice. I can be happy. Now, you'll have those people that then think you ought to be like the Joker in the Batman series and have this permanent smile on your face. That's not true. That doesn't mean that Christians cannot have various Emotions. And, you know, the fact that I'm even going to approach this isn't really even necessary. We talked about Jesus having strong crying. We know Jesus did no sin. When he comes back a second time, it is without sin unto salvation, Hebrews 9 and verse 28. We know that, but I want to show you anyway that various emotions in God's people are not wrong because you can be happy. You can be rejoicing in your salvation, but sad and troubled at the very same time. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, Solomon wrote in verses 1 through 6, a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. I just want to remind you Bible students out there, that to Solomon, the things we're talking about looking forward to The end of our faith, the salvation of our souls, the resurrection of Christ, that's all a mystery to him. So when he's writing this, he doesn't even have the knowledge that you and I have. We'll talk about that when we get down to verses 10 through 12 of 1 Peter chapter 1 and how it was a mystery to the prophets of old. But continuing, he says, "...it is better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart." Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of the mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for man to hear the songs, or the song rather, of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity." Solomon's making the point, it's better to be sad than happy. It's going to make you lay things to heart. But see, you have to balance that, right? You have to balance that. You have to have joy, too. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord, Psalm 144 and verse 15. You have to balance that. That's in the Old Testament, just like Ecclesiastes 7. Come in the New Testament, what about Jesus? Did Jesus have emotions? Well, again, we read that he did when we were going through Hebrews 4:14 4, through 5:10. Now in Mark 3, 1 through 6, he entered again in the synagogue. There was a man there which had a withered hand, and they watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. And he saith unto them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. Did you hear that? Anger and grief. He saith to the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. When Jesus comes to Jerusalem, Luke 19, 41 through 44, he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Saying, If thou had known, even thou, at the least in thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, that enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee around, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. Paul in Romans 9, 1 through 3. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing with bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have a great heaviness. Now notice this. And continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ, my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. You know, there are brethren that I have seen fall away in my life. And going back years, I still think about them on a daily basis and sorrow over them. And as I'm happy looking forward to eternal life, I sorrow that they're not going to be there. If I start listing names, it's a long list. That saddens me. And when I think about it, it brings that sorrow. So, like Paul. I too have a continual sorrow. But that doesn't rob me of the joy. If you're ever round about me and and, and you spent time with me, you'd see various emotions at multiple times, because the, the faithful Christian has various emotions at the same time. Aren't you seeing that? Think about this in First Corinthians 12, 25 and 26, that there should be no schism in the body, but the members should have the same care one for another. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored. All the members rejoice with it. What, what about with our brothers and sisters in Christ? With people here in the congregation in El Paso that are going through physical ailments, have been for long periods of time, I sorrow for them, but I also rejoice with them. And some of them are getting closer to the end of, of the trials of this world. And I know and, and I believe I have assurance that their faithfulness will reward them in the end. At the same time, when, when though that day comes that they're not in the flesh anymore, oh, who are we kidding? We don't want to see any of our brethren depart this world. It's a joy and sorrow at the same time, isn't it? How about when we're facing things? In 2 Corinthians 7, 1 through 6, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you. For I've said before that you're in our hearts to die and live with you. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glory of you. I'm filled with comfort. I'm exceeding joyful in our tribulation. From when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. Without were fighting's. Within were fears. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. Do you see that in Paul? Multiple emotions at the same time: sorrow and joy at the same time. When Paul wrote Timothy in 2 Timothy 1:4, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. The evangelist Timothy: sorrow. Folks, Christians have a balance of emotions, as does. God our Father. Grief, you see that back in Genesis chapter 6. Joy, I mean, think about what happens in heaven when one sinner repents. When you read Luke 15, angels of heaven rejoice over one sinner that repenteth more than ninety and nine just persons. Jesus was sorrowful when he face was in front of him. And you think about the garden. He was sorrowful and very heavy in Matthew twenty six thirty seven. But like we talked about earlier, he did not err. He came in 1 John 3, 5. You know he was manifest, take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Folks, you're not sinning if you have joy and sorrow. So the command, wherein you greatly rejoice to these saints, was not intended to mean that's all you're allowed to do. The balance of the scriptures show otherwise. Please keep that in mind. You're not erring if you're facing different emotions. I heard of a sister in Christ uh, recently in another country that uh, she sorrowed. She had tears over a brother that had fallen away. And it, that pained me to, to, to read that message. Brother fallen away, saddened. Sister sorrowing over it, saddened. saddened. At the same time, I rejoiced because the faithful continue to be faithful. We can have mixed emotions. So, back to 1 Peter 1 6 and 7, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season. The emphasis here for a season, to understand the temporary nature of suffering in this world and various temptations that may arise similar to what was written in 2 Corinthians 7, 1 through 6, where we see what Paul was facing. I want you to see how he got through those types of emotions. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 18, he says, "...we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus." that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which are alive are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up The Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might be through thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Why we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. How Paul overcame that? Let me look forward. We look at the things that are are eternal rather than the things that are temporal. Facing afflictions doesn't mean that Paul was a sinner, just like it doesn't mean Jesus was a sinner, as we know and have proven. Afflictions are, are going to happen to righteous people. That's the evil world we live in. The world is evil, 1 John five nineteen, and Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. Let me explain one thing to you before we get back to text so that you have this understanding. Do not think that being a Christian means you have a force field or a bubble round about you. We have already looked at passages that say you're going to suffer persecution as a Christian. Luke 6, 20-23, Matthew 5, 10-12, and, and others. We've seen it in others. And do not think that deliverance from those things is talking about earthly deliverance. Because when you look at people who suffered in the first century, it wasn't like it lasted five minutes and then God somehow put a force field around them that nothing could cause them to suffer. No. Think about this. Acts 12, 1 and 2. About the time Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. An apostle was killed with the sword. Later in that text, an angel set Peter free from prison. God's not a respecter of persons. Acts 10, 34, Romans 2, 11. He didn't pick his favorite apostle there. What we face in this world might result in our demise. But that's the temporary side. Death is a certainty for all people unless Jesus returns first. Only two people in the Bible that did not see death, Elijah and Enoch. rest of us, it's a man wants to die, and after this is judgment, Hebrews 9.27. Consider the foreign warning. Of Christ to the apostles. In John 16, 33, he said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Think about that. And then what Paul wrote in First Corinthians chapter four, verses eight through thirteen, he says, Now ye are fool, now you are rich, ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God you did reign, that we might reign with you. For I think that God has set forth us, the apostles' last, as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. We're fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You're honorable, but we are despised. Even under this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. And labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it, being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscurring of all things unto this day. Oh, man, that language, they suffered. Some Christians faced terrible things. In Acts 14, 22, they are foretold, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. Historical fact. Jerusalem was destroyed. Uh, The temple particularly was the focus of the prophecy of Matthew chapter 24 in verse 1 through verse 34. It happened in that generation, A.D. 70, historically. And Christians that were in roundabout Jerusalem suffered, and the Roman Empire went haywire, uh, persecuting those of faith. Terrible things things that in the United States of America Christians aren't facing other places of the world that they, they they are but not to that degree necessarily look our faith has to endure and we have to look at it as though whatever it is it is temporary we have to understand that the finish line is on the other side of the physical things we face in life. You have to have the mindset, whatever it is, and we have to be able to endure it. In Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go Hebrews eleven thirty-two 32, and, and read into chapter 12 and verse 3. I want you to notice the Hebrew writer is talking about people of faith down through verse 31. Then he says, and what more, or what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdue kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the enemies or the armies rather of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in the deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, and these all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they, without us, should not be made perfect. Into chapter 12, wherefore, that ties it back, same context, seeing also we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. So think about all those people in the past, some of which overcame things in the flesh, and some of which were put to death. Wherefore, we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Don't get tired. Look at the people in the past who did not have the promises that we do. that endured. And even after going through afflictions, were put to death because of their faith in God, did not give up. Ultimately, look unto Jesus. Keep Jesus in front of you. Run to him. He's at the finish line, right? The finish line. That, that makes the suffering, however long it is in years or months or weeks, Days or hours or minutes, easier to endure. In Hebrews 3 14, we are made partakers of Christ if, if, here's the condition, we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. In the book of James, chapter one, and we're gonna we're gonna come right back here uh, after this point for another point, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So keep, you're going along in your Bible, those of you that I, I know, pause and take notes and so forth, on. just keep your Bible open to James 1 there. My dear wife, see what I'm doing there for you, and Brandon and others who I know would like to hit the pause button, back up, back up, back up, uh, Sam, uh, Ard, I know, back up, back up, you know, what did he say, what did he say? Give you, give you that heads up. We're going to stay in James 1. But the point of everything we just talked about is focus on these things being temporary. That the end, you have to endure because the end is the crown of life. That's promised to those that love the Lord. That's at the end. It's not, not at the end of today, unless Jesus were to come today. Or the end of this particular thing that the world might put you through because you're a faithful Christian. It's the judgment day. Heaven being on the other side of the judgment seat of Christ. So if need be, you're going through these things, it's for a season, and you might be in heaviness because of that, but it is temporary, and don't feel that that heaviness is bad. So the trial of your faith, tested faith, In James, the first chapter, verses two and three, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Trying, same word there is trial of faith. It's difficult to put it this way because we don't want to enter into trials. We don't want to enter into temptations. But if and when we do, another thing we can focus on outside of the reward at the end is that this is going to build up my endurance. That after I overcome this, if you throw something else at me, that something else is going to be easier to overcome because I've endured this. Imagine some of the things that are mental and not just the physical. For example, Peter is writing this letter, and we don't have a lot of writing from Peter, uh, but what we see is he's trying to embolden them, encourage them. He's trying to comfort them. He's trying to keep them going through a difficult time. If we look at the Apostle Paul, we get, we get a good idea as to what the apostles went through and worrying about those people that they taught, Okay. And 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it be good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, so this is Paul and Silvanus sending Timotheus, our brother, minister of God, our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you, to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we were appointed thereto thereunto for verily when we were with you we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it has come to pass and you know for this cause when i could no longer forbear i sent to know your faith lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain so i really could just spend a whole hour here i won't do it i won't do it to you But the mental anguish that teachers who care about those people that they're trying to help be saved is real, and in many cases, worse than the physical persecution the man of God might go through. When you think of Paul writing to uh, the churches of Galatia, and he said to them in Galatians 4.11, "'I'm afraid of you, lest I bestowed upon you labor in vain.'" They had erred. They'd fallen. They'd fall back into some Judaizing teachers' arms. Paul didn't want his work to be in vain. Didn't want to see them fall away. He had anxiety over it. In 2 Corinthians 11, 28, as he's talking about various things suffering through contextually as an apostle, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. That is the anxiety of all of the churches. Think about that mental anguish. It's not just in the flesh, but the trial of faith that we have. Sometimes it's not that somebody may be threatening to beat us or beating us or imprisoning us or those types of things. The mental anguish, you got to be able to overcome that, to understand that these trials of faith, the more mental anguish you go through, the more you endure. Uh, I was telling my brethren here in El Paso, I think last last week, uh, as we were having a class discussion, Katrina and I, my wife and I, had a discussion recently where we were talking about some of the things that we've been through for the gospel's sake, and we were looking back in the past where where I, I was preaching the truth, and because of that we faced for real persecution, and having three young children. Uh, were removed in one year's time from two different work of congregations that that we were working with. It's less than a year. We, we move uh, to different states and then, uh, and then one move within a state and how difficult that was, not knowing what was going to be on the other side and, and certainly quickly as i started preaching the gospel i definitely gained more enemies than "quote unquote friends" uh, in a very very quick short manner of time because as now then i genuinely truly only want to teach the truth well people don't want to hear that and we were talking about some of the things we went through and, and i told my wife i said it's like i'm uh, we're talking but it's like I'm, I'm, I'm watching a movie or something because it, it's hard to even imagine what we went through, even though we lived through it. it it's hard to imagine. There were so many things. And then within a, a three-year period of time, so many different things that we faced that were truly trials because of the faith and trials of our faith. There was a moment in uh, Pennsylvania where... Uh, I was working with a larger group of people uh, than I've worked with since, and they had given me a list of things not to preach on among other problems among them, and I I decided definitely not to compromise. Uh, Well, we lived in a very vulnerable situation, house owned by brethren, all kinds of different things uh, that we were going through uh, at that time, and I, I got to a point where I was really low. The mental anguish was really high. And I asked, Is there anybody in this world that even wants to hear the truth? I had preached to many, many, many at this point in time, and and people just didn't want to hear it. And and I was naive at at first uh, when I first went into full time work of evangelism, where I thought, Man, I get things that other people haven't heard. Once I tell them, they're going to, of course, want to obey God because it's, it's simpler than they're making it. They've just not heard it presented in this way or whatever, whatever. Uh, and all these false teachers have confounded them and confused them. Well, we went through a real low period, uh, I did, and I just sat in, in our living room in Cherry Tree, Pennsylvania, and was sitting there Indian style, just had my head down. I had gone through uh, a, a time in the hospital. I had gone through a a severe life-threatening injury on top of everything we were facing uh, for doing the work of of an evangelist. And I just told my wife I'm done. And she looked at me and she said, you can't do anything else. I love my wife. I don't know what would have happened to me. I know what would have happened to me in the judgment day. Uh, I put my hand to the plow and look back, Luke 9, 57 through 62. I know what would happen to me in the judgment day. And there's a greater judgment on those of us that take on the work of teaching, James 3.1. When I say I don't know what would have happened at that moment had my wife not bolstered me, you know, how important it is to have brethren and how great it is to have a supporting spouse, a faithful Christian. She had had many bad, terrible things said about her and to her and has heard and seen what I went through. And for her to say, no, 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 you got to keep preaching. folks, the mental anguish, for me, far greater than anything we faced in the flesh. So when I look at Paul, I get it. But after we got up and we pressed on, I got harder. And now, don't come at me. Don't come at me. I've been through whatever you're going to throw at me. When I moved here to El Paso, some of my brethren reminded me of this uh, recently. Uh, there were some problems at first and, and and knowingly, we came here knowing that and uh, told the brethren uphand that I was going to come here and preach some things that they were doing wrong. And they welcomed that. Hey, this is, this is a unique place on earth and it's why I'm staying here. It's a unique place. The brethren I work with, they care about the truth, but there were some among them that didn't. And at one point I got up, one of my brethren reminded me of this uh, recently. I I got up and was preaching and, and uh, I said, what are you going to do? Fire me? You don't pay me anything. (laughs) At that time they didn't. What what are you going to do? I mean, what, what controlled, if you don't like the truth that's being preached, you leave. And I wouldn't have done that in 1999, but in 2007 I had already been through so many things, or whatever year that was. I'm not, not accurate, probably. Uh, I'd already been through so many things that, that that those things didn't move me. Folks, good can come from being tested. In Romans 5, 1-4, through 4, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith in the grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, and experience hope. I've lived it. The Bible says it. That's all that you need for it to be truth. We, we You don't need me to certify this and say, see, it, it." I know it's true because it happened to me. No, the Bible says it. That makes it truth. The word is truth, John 17, 17. I'm also telling you, I've lived this. You get stronger. You build endurance. It's the same way with the physical body. Years ago, I took up running. I was severely overweight uh, and uh, took up exercise, I should say. I didn't right away take up running. But I started off running light pole to light pole because just running light pole to light pole, by the time I got to the second light pole, I felt like I was going to die. I mean, I got out of breath walking upstairs that turned into 12, 13-mile runs over time because I built up endurance the same way with faith. The same way with faith. So rather than caving in to whatever trial you're facing and falling away, it's important as to look at trials as though, hey, this is, this is a challenge I'm facing right now in, in the short period. But in the long run, it's going to build me up Make me a harder target of evil men and women. And it's going to give me an an, an eternal reward to the church in Smyrna. Revelation 2, 8 through 11. These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which also suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Look at the temporary focus there. Everything we just talked about in Revelation 2, 8 through 11. There it is. So why is tested faith so valuable? In comparison, more precious precious than gold that perishes, even though that gold may be tried with fire. Why, why is it so valuable? When we get down to verse 9, the end of your faith is the salvation of your souls. Yeah, because the payoff is different. The payoff is different. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 1 through 5, Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus... Under the Church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly and the charity of every one of you toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. Huh, the payoff. What's the payoff of material wealth versus the faith? Here, here's material wealth. Let, let's look at what the Bible says and you know it to be true. Psalm 49, 60, 13. They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him for the redemption of their soul is precious And it ceases forever. That he should still live forever and not see corruption. For he that seeth wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man being in honor abideth not. He is like the beast that perish. This their way is their folly; yet their posterity approve their sayings. Proverbs eleven and verse four. Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. Proverbs twenty three, four and five. Labour not to be rich; cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings, they fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Proverbs 27, 24. For riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation. And 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6-10. through But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many hurtful, or many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covet after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So, two young men uh, come to Jesus, or I should say, one of a company comes to Jesus and ask him to divide his inheritance. Jesus in Luke 12, 13 through 21 said to him, man, who made me a judge or divider over you? And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. So now he gives the parable of the rich fool. He spake a parable of them saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and will build greater. There will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Look, people of the world, they focus on material wealth much more than their soul. Jesus asked a question in Mark 8, 36 and 37. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Think about that question. The world is going to burn up. 2 Peter 3 and verse 10. So, even if you owned the entire world, what have you gained for eternity? Likewise, as with money, people focus so much on their physical well being. I talked about how I went from light pole to light pole to extensive long runs. You know, here's the temporary nature of physical fitness one day I'm out on a walk with my wife and my daughter and we're walking and Taylor needed some extra attention. I step into a hole and break three or four bones in my foot. My foot has never been the same since. One day I'm walking in the living room, just walking. I I go out and run in a hundred degree plus weather long runs. I, I had one of my favorite routes was a 10 mile route uh, that went all the way around the area that we live in. And I love that run. We'll do it. I love the heat, love to run in the heat. Felt, felt great to run in the heat. I'm walking in the living room one day and snap happens and my right foot just drops. I tore my Achilles. Months Months of recovery, never the same. I cannot push off my right foot to save my life. It's terrible. It's an injury that just never gets any better. I was very physically fit. That doesn't matter. The body breaks down. But how many people live their life around physical fitness? And 1 Timothy 4, 8 through 10, says, Bodily exercise profiteth little. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all exception. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in living God, who is the savior of all men, especially of those that believe. (laughs) Wow, right? Very clear. Very clear. You've watched. The news, to some degree, you've heard of athletes that have cardiac arrest, professional athletes that have cardiac arrest out of nowhere. What's wrong with them? Well, these people think they're in the height of physical fitness. You could, you could be able to hold your breath for 10 minutes and run 100 miles. You're still going to die if Jesus doesn't come first. You are. Why get caught so much up into the body when like riches, it's just temporary, right? It's just temporary. First John 2 and verse 17, the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. That is the simplicity of truth. Think about though people, they get caught up in the affairs of this life. We're in, we're in election season. Some people are bought in on all the politics. Whoever it is, that becomes the next president of the United States if the world lasts that long. He's not Jesus or she's not Jesus. They're not going to deliver us from anything. They're still people of the world who are going to make decisions like people of the world make. Doesn't matter whether there's a D, an R, or an I next to their name on a ballot. They're going to say and do dumb things because they have not the wisdom of God. So why do Christians get embattled in that? Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Get in the fight for eternity. In 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of his life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. This world does not have a payoff because whatever it has to offer you, It is temporary. On the other hand, what's the end of genuine faith? In 1 John 5, 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. We get victory from our faith, not from anything that's in this world. Now, back to an earlier point where we talked about we don't want to enter into temptation, right? Matthew 6, 13 and Mark 14, 38 that we read earlier. But there is value not just in being able to endure more and more and more in the flesh, but in connection to endurance, think about the reward. In Matthew 10, 22, You should be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. He said that to his disciples. The parable of the sower in Luke 8, 15, That on the good ground, are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. That word patience means endurance. And 2 Timothy 2, 12. If we suffer, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. Eternity is the reward for enduring trials of our faith. In James 5, 10, and 11. Take my brethren, the prophets, who spoke in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure You've heard of the patience of Job, and you've seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. The endurance. Endurance has value because it leads unto eternal life. Not like the physical body, which breaks down no matter how much endurance you build up. It's still going to break down at some point. You know, the world is not intended to be permanent. Neither is the flesh of man. It's looking forward. In 1 Peter 1, 7, it says, May be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Looking forward to Christ coming back. How a person's faith will be found when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. In Romans 2, 6 and 7, Who will render every man according to his deeds to them who by patient continuance and well for seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Glory and honor. Not in this world, but in the world to come. When Jesus comes, what's He going to find you doing? In Mark thirteen thirty-two through thirty-seven, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. That is the day that this world ends. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for you know not when that time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. What's Jesus going to find you doing when you're coming? This always reminds me, uh, I was in management in a Firestone store years and years ago in the 1990s, and we had a district manager, and there was a series of stores in Ohio that he was over. He was over the Cincinnati district, and there were stores in Cincinnati, Dayton, and and where I was, and Springfield, and then other places in between, and they would come, and they would check on the daily operations of the local stores, but they wouldn't tell you when they're coming, and they wouldn't go to stores in a particular order, uh, because if they did that, and and there were times where stores tried to warn other stores, hey, George is on his way somewhere. He was just here. But you could never peg it because he was smart enough to know. I want to know what you're doing when you think somebody's not watching. Now we live in a time where business owners set up cameras and watch their employees from their offices or their houses or different things, so forth, so on. Well, we know we're naked before our Lord, Hebrews 4.13, so we're not going to surprise him. But what he expects you to be doing at the second coming is, is not because it's a secret to him and he doesn't know. But that's the moment where you don't have time to make it right. When the Lord comes, it's over. Judgment is going to commence. So you have to ask, will he be glorified in me when he returns? If that's today. And 2 Thessalonians 1:10 through 10-12, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling, fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Will he be glorified in you? Are you among the saints? will you be glorified in him? I made reference to this earlier, but Romans 8, 17 and 18. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, we may be glorified together. For I record, reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Romans 8, 17 and 18 is a great conclusion to our study today. Next week, We're going to be picking up 1 Peter 1, 8, 9. Whom having not seen, ye love, and whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. It's going to be a great study. I hope you've enjoyed this study. I am definitely loving this book. I love the things that we are talking about. Much for us to learn about today as it was for them to whom it was written, because we can learn, we can apply, and we can live according to the inspired words of our God. Thankful that Peter wrote that letter. I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to preach and teach from it, and I'm thankful that you're listening. If you have questions on these things or anything relative to your soul, I encourage you to give me a call. My phone number is 915-525-5794, or you can go to wordsoftruth.net, my personal website, you can email me from there or, or you can find my phone number there, uh, so forth, so on. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to get feedback. I don't I have I don't get feedback very often from the podcast. I'd love to get some feedback if you'd let me know what you think about it and so forth and so on. love to know that you're listening and that the work being done is profitable. I've heard from enough people. Uh, I've asked and I've heard from enough people to know that there are those learning, but I'd love to hear from you if I haven't thus far. I'd love to get to know who you are and... And, and the benefit that you might be getting from these things. But we will, if the world continues, be back in a podcast on Tuesday morning, if all goes according to plan. I hope you will tune in to hear that. I'm thankful so much that you are listening. I will end it now with a goodbye and thank you.